I'm really excited to have one of my best friends in the whole world, uh, Cody Howard, come join us. Uh, Cody and I have been friends since I was in the Navy, so we've known each other, yeah, almost longer than 20, anybody else I've known in my life. Years. Yeah, 23 years is a long time, huh? Yeah, a really long time. Yeah, you want to lean back from the mic and introduce yourself? I do. <laughs> I don't know how close to get. Um, oh, you're, so, yeah. That, so I've known Alex uh, since we were in the Navy. You can call me Francis. Francis. And, uh, <laughs> you know, we've our life has intersected over the course of a lot of things. Um, currently, I Introduce yourself. Yeah. yeah. What currently, about you? I live in California. Uh, I also have a PhD. Uh, it's a real one, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not an MD, so you're not a real doctor. Yeah. Not a real doctor. <laughs> I'm a true doctor. A true doctor. Uh, yeah. Uh, I work for the Air Resources Well, Board I have a question. Do, do you think I inspired you to get a PhD in environmental engineering because I have a master's in geochemistry? Like, is that what really motivated yeah, you? Yeah, that, to... that's what it was. <laughs> uh, definitely. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah, that was it. No, mostly I was inspired because I didn't want to work. So How'd that work out for you? Well, it didn't work out that great. <laughs> we both thought we were going to wind up being professors, right? Yeah. I thought I was just going to stay in school forever. So, but yeah, I work uh, on cleaning up California's air. Um, oh, yeah. One of the leading programs in the nation for uh, air quality. And so, yeah, I'm fortunate that I get to do that. And also fortunate that uh, I've been friends with Alex for so long. So. Well, just for the audience sake, uh, Cody's called me Francis basically since we've known each other, right? Well, that's what you introduced your name as. Yeah, you know, yeah, that I was after. Know, I didn't actually didn't know your first name was Alex, probably. Because you're in the military, right? So Yeah. Last name we went by chosen. last name, yeah. Yeah, and then when you said your name was Francis, I just assumed that was your name. And so I didn't yeah. know your name was Alex probably until two or three years into our relationship. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny, you know, in the book, I write about how important uh, St. Francis was to me. You know, mm -hmm. I think there was a period of my life, like early in the book, and you just finished it, so we'll have to get your, uh, your input on it. But, you know, early in the book, there's like these series of religious experiences that I have, you know, and it, I mean, now it's clear to me that I was just reaching out for something bigger and more important than me, you know, I talk about in the book how I always have these fantasies about a different kind of world, a different life that will take me away from what I was, the hell that I was living in, yeah. you know, and, and even, even now, right after, you know, having that religious experience with St. Francis when I was much younger, reading about his life and being obsessed about how he tried to transform the world, I'm still inspired by his story. You know, and I'm happy that, you know, for my confirmation when I became Catholic, that I took his name and, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, the influence that he's had on me continues to be really profound. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. So you just finished reading the book. What'd you think about it? I really, I really enjoyed it. I liked, um, I liked the narrative arc, you know, it's about perseverance um overcoming obstacles i think people who really enjoy that um you know people can identify with a number of the things that you're searching for and that's then some people yeah it's uh, funny you say that because i you know i always have this perception of myself that um i 
I, I'm surprised to hear you say that people will identify with my story. It's probably just my own perception of myself, but I always think of people looking at me in my life and saying, uh, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard of. I've never done or thought about anything like that. Yeah, I think, but like I'm talking about just the perseverance side, like overcoming yeah. obstacles, and um, a lot of people will like that because, uh, you know, they want you want a, a hero story, and that's yeah. what this is about. Um, yeah. But you want people to persevere through hard times. Um, yeah, that's true. People want to see that, and they want to see and people. Everybody has different ways that they persevered and different life experiences than this. Um, but they can identify with, you know, things being put in their way and them overcoming them. Like you can talk about grad students. I know lots of grad oh, students yeah. Too, yeah. who were in grad school and didn't go off on adventures, but just tried to complete grad school for 10 years. And they, yeah. they were blocked by their, their uh, advisors or their advisors just kept them working because they were getting basically free work out of them. Yeah, um, and so people can identify with that. People, of course, lots of different yeah. people have crappy home experiences. Yeah, I mean, it's funny, you know, you talk about, um, you know, graduate school, and it's, you know, I had such mixed feelings about it. You know, when I when I left CU Boulder, you know, and the funny thing, we didn't really talk about this. We make sure make sure we talk about this later about how our lives sort of overlap oh, yeah. at the time. Yeah, but. Um, you know, when I left CU Boulder, you know, I was like, I'm going to go to graduate school, I'm going to get a PhD, and I'm going to set the world on fire, you know, mm -hmm. and, I, and I write about the moment that I, when I go for orientation, and I'm riding the bus, and I pull up in Hyde Park, and there's like ivy growing up the side of the building. It's like this beautiful medieval or gothic architecture, you know, and I felt like I was in England, you know, somewhere in some old school. And I was like, oh my God, I'm going to go here. You know, I'm going to do when, this. When I first wanted to be a professor, that's how I imagine professor life would be like. You'd be in this like, old English style campus. Right. These crazy oak doors and like, yep. it's not yep. like that at all anymore, for sure. Well, um, it's like that at the University of Chicago. Yeah, but almost nowhere know. else. Oh, yeah, I mean, and so it was just, uh, and you know, I haven't really thought about this until we're talking about it right now, but it was fantastical. You know, if in my book, I start off by talking about creating these fantasies in my head, and throughout the course of my story, you know, you find me chasing dream after dream after dream. It's probably no big surprise that when I came onto campus at the University of Chicago, I was immediately drawn in, mm -hmm. you know. And so, like you said, there's just a lot of uh, graduate students who struggle um, and so many people don't finish, you know, and I assumed I was going to be one of those people who never finished, but by God, I did. <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. Didn't we both start at the same time? So I started in, well, I went to Chicago in 2002. Okay. Yeah. And I Summer started, of 2002. Yeah, I started grad school in 2002 as well. Go ahead. When did you graduate? Let's <laughs> just say it. It was, still, uh, it was still 2010. So, but that was a master's and a PhD. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I started 2002. I got my master's in 2004. 
Yeah. So and we were on the same page then. <laughs> you know, and, and I didn't really get a chance to write about this in the district or in my book, you know, and this is something that you and I've talked about code is um, there's so many things that didn't make it into the book. But when I started graduate school, I was, um, I was just blazing a trail. I took my first year Arabic in the summer before classes even started. You know, it's eight hours a day of classes, like three or four hours a day of um, homework. I also tested out of French. You know, for us, we had to test out of four different languages, right? So, you know, I tested out of French. Um, I started studying German. And, you know, we were only had to take three classes a quarter. That was like the max. I was taking like four and five classes. And for the first like two or three years, I was just, you know, way ahead, like just blazing a trail. And I remember, you know, when I came back from Oman, when I uh, went to the National Seminary in Oman, and I got an email from um, this civilian consultant firm who was looking for PhD level folks who travel around the Middle East, you know, and they said, we've seen your resume. We want you to come work for us and go support um, the military in Iraq, you know, and one of the big questions I had in my mind was here I am really blazing a trail here. I've heard all these stories about people, people who start their PhDs and never finish, you know, mm-hmm. and part of the thing that I had to decide was, Am I willing to take that risk? But just like I say over and over in my book, it was like, I'll go. I'll yeah. go to wherever because I believe I can fix U.S. Middle East policy, yeah. you know? Yeah. And so it, it, it doesn't, you know, from the there's, – there's just another part of this story where I was really concerned and there was a risk that I was never going to finish my Ph.D., and that dream that I had when I left CU Boulder um, would have been lost. But even that dream was less important than, in my mind, <laughs> saving the world, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, well. yeah. I mean, do you feel like, you know, when you were thinking about going to graduate school, do you feel like there was a mission there for you? Like, for me, it was like really driven by fixing U.S. Middle East policy. For you, was there a mission there? Was it like intellectual well, curiosity? Yeah, well, I'm very curious of, you know, of way engineering works, math, uh, physics, all those kinds of things. Um, and then, so I was going to grad school, I was getting a, just my undergrad in, or sorry, when I started my undergrad in mechanical engineering, um, I was really just interested in working in whatever, you know, going to go work up, build cars or whatever. And then, weirdly, one not one day my uh, professor came to me and was like, Oh, would you like to come uh, lead our, in our, our laboratory for a while? And this was like at the end of uh, undergrad. Um, I think you could really help out with this, with the study we're doing. And I was like, okay. And so we started doing this. It was looking at um, air quality indoors and how you can decrease um, smoke, amount of smoke indoors, or you can get rid of uh, bacterial, uh, uh, get rid of bacteria in the air and so I worked on that for like a year and then she was like oh you should really you know think about grad school and so then I went to grad school and she was my advisor in undergrad at, uh, for my master's at the University of Colorado and then she was like well you should really think about going to work with this guy at UC Davis and wow. so I went out there and so right when I was leaving to go to UC Davis she was like you know why I hired you and I was like yeah I have no idea it was really weird <laughs> it was like I had a dream 
that I should hire you to be a really to be an undergraduate assistant. And so the next day I asked you, and I was like, really? Oh, that has really led me down this whole arc that has led. That's crazy. I didn't know that. You've never told me that story. Yeah. So that's really cool. What do you think about that? I mean, that's so weird because I mean, that's basically that got me to where I am. And yeah, you know, it was a buildup over time of learning like, well, I really do care for the environment. Um, you know, I came from a background where humans don't give a F about those kinds of things, but uh, yeah, you can say fuck if you want. Yeah. <laughs> All right. They don't give a fuck about those things. So, you know, I, I never really knew that I actually did care for, for those things. So that kind of, uh, and then it became a passion. Like I want yeah. to, I want to work on things to, to help save the environment. Uh, yeah. Places where I can do that. So, you know, it's funny. There's a couple of things that are going through my mind right now. You know, like I said, I've never heard that story. And it's so, to me, it's powerful because it's like there, you know, if I talk about you know, my spiritual experiences, you know, um, it's like there was some other force, you know, God was at work or however you want to phrase it. To, and, and, and not just, you know, the way I would say it, it's not just to like push you down a path, but to help you realize your true potential or something like that you know and i think about you know Mm -hmm. so one of the things i write about in my book is when i met my advisor at the university of chicago and we met at cu boulder Um, and i actually didn't know that from the book that that's that he had come out to give a lecture at cu boulder yeah how that all came about yeah you know and and in the story you know he gives this lecture and it's it's not long after 9 11 happens and he gets up and he talks about um the language that president bush used to justify going to war right and so i had just written a paper where i looked at speeches before 9 11 um and speeches after 9 11 and the ones before seemed to me to be more divisive and the ones after seemed to talk about unity and how we can all come together and using more religious language. And, and so the paper that I, as a people of the United States, as a nation, right, right, right. As a nation, right. To, to defend against and to defeat the enemy. Right. Exactly. And so, um, my future advisor had the same, in my mind he had the same argument and it just so happens that we sat next to each other at this mexican restaurant in boulder and we talked all night long you know and i had already studied french for a long time and we're speaking in french and you know he's this famous scholar who travels around the world people are dying to get his time you know and he's focusing all of his energy on me and you know that was on a friday we were at the mexican restaurant eating and drinking and having a good time and then that Monday, you know, was when my life changed because one of the faculty members at CU Boulder came and said, you know, this guy wants you to come study with him. And, you know, it's like, it is a life changing moment. You know, he's one of the most famous professors in religion in the world at one of the best universities in the world, you know, and he's saying, I want you to come study with me, you know? And so, that changed my life. So, you know, it's funny that you talk about how there are people in our lives who mm-hmm. have that indelible, like that, that mark on us that can never be denied or changed. And, and the trajectory yep. of our lives would not be the same. Exactly. It's so crazy. And that that yeah. happens throughout the book. 
<laughs> it's it's crazy how many times I always some of the people who've read the book, I've asked them, it's like, do you feel does it feel believable? Like does it feel like I'm making this stuff up? Or I mean, it's, it's not as it's not as crazy as like Forrest Gump, but we're getting to that level. <laughs> we're almost getting there. Like, you couldn't have met the president and like, put yeah. Can you really have all these things happen to you? So I always think about my but trip. But it's still ground-based, like what I'm saying. You know, people can still get the themes and how um, yeah. those things still fit together. It's just, yeah. It's a how lot. The, yeah, how you met those uh, nephew of a general right. and Yemen and uh, yeah. police chief. Um, it's just crazy. It's crazy, and... And just the right time, too. Yeah. You know, it's not like I met someone really important in every city that I was in in Yemen. But in the cities where I needed help, I met the right person. Met someone, yeah. yeah. And, 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 and it can happen once or twice, and you feel like it's just random, you know. But when it happens over and over again, it you know, there's this concept of flow. Have you heard about that flow? And, you know, so. it's, it's like when you are doing the thing – that you're supposed to be doing you it's like you're flowing through life it's not that necessarily everything is easy and that you don't have any obstacles but you you know emotionally spiritually mentally you you're making it through those situations even if it's difficult you just believe or know that you can make it through you know and you do it and there was just a long period of time where time after time after time, someone came to me and said, here is this thing. And the thing they offered me was the thing that I wanted, yeah. the place I wanted to go or the person I wanted to be, you know, and it's just, it's, it's unavoidable. But yeah, one of the things we're supposed to talk about is, you know, how our uh, lives have overlapped. I always think that's like, you know, an interesting. Well, it's interesting to the narrative of the book too, right? Yeah. Like, How'd you feel about not making it into the book? (laughs) I don't think I fit within the, well, well, you were, I don't think I fit within the narrative. Our narrative weaves, and I wrote this down, our narrative weaves through the book, but does not follow the arc of the book. Yeah. uh, Our arc exists outside this narrative. um, And how do you feel it fits in the larger narrative of our lives or your life is, kind of what I was thinking like there are definitely points that weave through all these things that yeah do, but I'm not a I'm not yeah. a military person not a firefighter yeah. not a religious not a uh, person who studies religions um, you know I don't have the same kind of yeah. background that you had family lifestyle wise um, so but yet we're, we're still the best of friends yeah and our yeah. arcs are certainly um so yeah I'm yeah no i mean i think you know it might be good to give just a little bit of context so you know we met in the navy and you know we were probably friends for a year mm-hmm. maybe you know and then like you know i remember you know i remember being in the Navy, being friends with you, and then you went back to Colorado, you know, where you're from. And, you know, it was probably a week after I had seen you and we were on AOL Instant Messenger, just sort of back and forth. You know, it was a fr- yeah, back in the day, right? Um, 
and it and it was yeah it was the first time you said i love you to me and this is actually a scene that i did write but mm -hmm. it didn't make it into the book for you know all sorts of reasons and i feel like we keep saying that in this conversation there's just so many things that didn't make it which yeah. doesn't mean that they're not important right like you're saying there's a there's the arc of the story and then there's the arc of my life and and they overlap in some ways but they're they don't overlap in other ways yeah. i think it's an interesting question that you're bringing up you know um about what does that mean so um so yeah we met and then i wrote about this moment when you said i love you and i instantaneously responded i love you too mm -hmm. because the moment you said it, I knew it to be true for me as well. And it was a confirmation of, of the friendship that we were building, Yep. you know? And then, so you went back to Colorado and then while I was still in the Navy, I went out to Colorado and I was out there for a year and we hung out all the time. I spent a bunch of time with you and your, awesome. uh, then girlfriend, now wife yep. um, and your mom, you know, I got to know your mom very well, you know, yep. and, all your friends, like your high school friends and whatnot. That's right. And so, you know, spent just spent tons of time with them. So that was that was the next point, you know, while I was still in the Navy. And then when I got out of the Navy, I yeah. graduated Penn State, you know, after I got out of the Navy. I spent a year there sort of finishing up my coursework and I, I wrote about it in the book how I was a volunteer fireman there. Um and then I went to see you Boulder. Was, <laughs> you I were, just started my master's there. Yep, just started yeah. your master's. So yeah. I lived with you and your wife for a few months yeah. while I found a place to live. And then you were in the fraternity. Yep, I was in Alpha Phi Delta living in the fraternity the house. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And so you yeah, moved we to Chicago, but we kept going back and forth between Chicago and Colorado. Yeah, so when I started graduate school, you started coming out to Chicago pretty yeah. regularly, probably like yeah. at least once a year to hang out. So you know all my friends from Chicago, all the rugby yeah, Timmy, guys are out there. Yeah, in the yeah. book. Yeah. Uh, Jimmy. J JJ, Jimmy. JJ, yeah. Yeah, yeah so you know Josh. all those folks. Yep. Yep. Um, and, and, so, then, and then you were gone for a while. And then yeah. I moved to D.C. Well, right. not, in, not in the U.S. anymore. Right. And then I moved to D.C. and then you moved to D.C. You, um, you and your wife lived with me. Yeah, which was great. Yeah. <laughs> it was great for a time and then it was not great for a time. And, the, and then I went and, away again. And then you went away again. And then um, you came back and then well, I came to visit you in Oh, that's right. So um, Bahrain. Yep. Right. So yep. Um, that was sort of the beginning of the end for me. Um, in terms of how much I was going to the Middle East, Correct. right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, in the book, I write about how I didn't realize that I was beginning to sort of crack under the surface. Yeah. You know, I had been in Iraq. Well, you know, I'd been back and forth to the Middle East as a student. And then I went to Iraq and come back and had a bunch of bad experiences there. I tried to come back and work in Tampa, you know, yep. and, and just sort of got really frustrated with working at a desk, essentially. Went to Afghanistan, had the worst time there, you know. And then I moved to D.C. and I said, you know, I think I can do this nine to five. You know, I was working at this Army think tank and, and getting to work with high level generals and really difficult problems. And 
I was volunteering at the fire station and I was like, I can live this life. And then that job ended, you know, yeah. and what I should have done, not, not what I should have done, but if I, if I had recognized the cracks underneath the surface of my life, I would have really worked and pushed to find something in the U S yeah. to stay there. Yeah. But I just didn't, didn't really know. I mean, do you feel like there were any, I mean, when you read the book, were you thinking to yourself, this is the person that I knew. Just think about that time, like before I went to Africa, right? When the first time I was in DC, I was working, you know, right on, uh, right around the corner from the condo. Right. Yeah. Um, when you were reading about that person, did it seem like the same person that you knew? No, I mean, I don't think after even you went to Oman the first time, you were the same person that I knew from, like, say, the Navy. Really? Yeah, I mean, those experiences, I think, change you. You still talk about um, all the stuff you did there and the experiences and uh, riding the freaking bus. Well, that was in Cairo, I think. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> uh, but no, like, and then how beautiful Yemen was and yeah. how most people never get to see that. So, and all those experiences that you had, so you weren't the same then, but certainly after you came back from being in Iraq and Afghanistan, um, you were definitely more in, into yourself. Like you were, yeah. I can remember we, I met you, I think you were back in Chicago just for a break after you were in a oh, yeah. maybe. Yeah, I and, know what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, we were on the south side having beers. And, of course, we got to ride back with that crazy <laughs> I remember that. I remember that. Yep. Um, yep. And you just, everything was, you were, I think, internalizing everything. And, uh, and I don't think I knew at the time, but later I knew, like, you definitely have you're you're experiencing what every soldier who serves time in a war zone experiences some kind yeah. of stress i don't know if you want to call it post-traumatic stress syndrome or, or yeah um you're, you certainly there's an arc there where you things were not the same and then now it's come back i think towards a little bit of i mean obviously you're a different person because of your experiences but because of settling down a little bit and, and Jeremy, you know, yeah. come back to kind of the person that you were when I first knew you. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's tough. It's not, none of it is bad either. It's just sure. Different. It's, it's tough for me because, um, on the one hand, I'm sort of the rational side of me. I know that, I mean, obviously I'm changed and not just in the way that people change over time, but you know, I wrote about in my book about how much I changed, how much impact it had on me and how difficult it's been for me to process all of yeah. those experiences. You know, you know, uh, even you know, now we're just talking about <clears throat> from the first time I really went to the Middle East, but there's still another part of me that can't, really accept that I'm changed. If that makes any sense. 
yeah, you know, it's I mean, like there's a there's a part of me that still believes I'm invincible, right? Like that I came out of it unscathed. I mean, it, it's not it's not the biggest, most important, most rational part of who I am, but there is uh-huh. a part of me that doesn't want to admit that I chose to put myself in all of those situations. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I've talked to you about this before. Is like, you know, I knew your friends, but this is, you know, back really before cell phones and stuff. Um, and I knew your dad, but didn't know how to get a hold of him. So every time you left, I was like, well, if he dies there, then I'll probably guess I'll never hear from him again and never know what happened to him. Cause yeah, that's there's no way feeling. for me. <laughs> yeah. No way for me yeah. to really know. And so that was always, I mean, always in the back of my mind. Um, yeah. Which clearly, and I, I think you, I, I've heard some of the stories, um, but not the full extent of the stories that are in the book. I don't think. Yeah. Um, yeah. Shit, you know. Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's, um, you know, again, the part of me that's sort of shielding myself, you know, and that's another way. I mean, I think honestly, there's part of me that just doesn't want to admit, but there's also part of it where um, I'm shielding myself from um, the real impact that it's had on me, you know, but one of the things that I used to say, and I write about this um, in the book, when I'm writing about a dear friend of mine who we lost in Iraq, uh, her name is Nicole Savages. Um, You know, one of the things that we used to say to each other when we were on Fort Leavenworth in Kansas, before we went to Iraq, you know, sort of like, if we die on some dusty road in Iraq, at least we'll die doing the thing that we want to be doing, you know, the thing that we were meant to be doing, you know, and that, thought process, that way of thinking motivated me for a decade. Mm-hmm. But as I look back on it, you know, I sort of think to myself, you know, I, I wouldn't rewrite my life if I could, right? I wouldn't mm-hmm. go back and make different choices because, um, not just because it's made me the person who I am, but I had to follow my dreams. If I had not followed my dreams, Oh no, would you would have, that you would have been a different person, but more, you just would have been a better, bitter, yeah, human, angry. Yeah. It would have. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and so, you know, as you're talking about this reality, you know, if, if, if the worst had happened to me, um, and, and now it just makes me think about the impact that it had on other people in my life. You know, mm-hmm. for me, I could always say, um, at least I'm doing the thing that I was meant to be doing, you know, yeah. and I remember s- <clears throat> sending sort of lighthearted emails to people talking about that sort of thing, <clears throat> which was my defense mechanism, right? Mm-hmm. Which was my way to shield myself from the... Um, the harsh realities of how life really yeah, works. Yeah, you know, but it, but it... it it must have been little comfort to people like you. Yeah. I mean, it, it was what it was, but at least yeah. I, I cherish those, you know, I still cherish the emails I got and the couple of times we got to talk on the phone and yeah. 
Um, yeah, but I guess, yeah, there were people that cared about you, including myself, um, that found those times difficult as well. So, yeah. So, but like you were doing, you were chasing your dream. And I think I would have never, as your friend, told you not to go either. Yeah. It never even occurred to me. It's like, oh, yeah, he's, he's going to go to the Middle East. It's, <laughs> I, I didn't even it's think, like, well, happens. you should really look out for yourself. <laughs> no, nah, he's going to go. He'll probably be. Yeah. 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 It's got me. It's got my wheels turning. Um, it's really something I've never thought about until right now. Um, just the impact that, um, you know, I talk a lot about this hero life, you know, and the importance of people living <clears throat> their wildest fantasies, dreams, mm -hmm. their greatest imagination, um, which I did. And um, yeah, it's just got my wheels turning about, about the impact that it has on other people. Again, like I said, not that it has to change the decisions that I made. Oh, um, it doesn't. It's just, like I said, there were people that cared for you and- Yeah. So, What's next? Uh, what do you want to talk about? We could talk about rugby. Oh, yeah. Or we could talk about... Go ahead. No, I, I really am just thinking. I'm just thinking about... Yeah, I'm, I, just, I just keep thinking about how, how diligently I shielded myself from like you said, the harsh reality of what I was doing. Yeah. But I mean, I, I think I, know, I, I didn't, I don't think I, I can't, I can't remember that I heard the story about Nicole before. Yeah. It's not something I talk about. Yeah. That may be, so, that may be the first time I've said her name in many, many years. I, I had heard, um, and had met Liliana, um, uh, yeah, and I don't think I knew about Hosai. Um, yeah, and so you, I mean, and we talk about all kinds of shit. Yeah, we talk about everything, right? But yep. you know, a lot of the stories in the book, I well, certainly the negative stories, I don't talk about. Mm -hmm. um, you know, this it kind of reminds me of my stepdad. You know, he was in Vietnam. Yeah, and. He never talked about Vietnam. Just like yeah. random weird things that there were cockroaches that could steal your cigarettes. <laughs> um, yeah. And then one time he was like, "Oh, we should sit down and look at my." Um, he had like one of those old click, click, click. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Oh man, what are they called? Uh, slide projectors, something like that. Yeah, something like yeah. that. Yeah. So, he puts up the things and he goes through the pictures that he has and he's just like, oh, that was my really good friend, Bob. Uh, he died on some mission we were on. Oh, and that's my other good friend, Fred. Yeah, he died on some mission we were on. It's just like, yeah. I have never even heard any of this. You yeah. talk about Vietnam like it was like something you did and then you came home. Yeah. So, yeah. It's interesting. I mean, I, I had known that you had faced a lot of crap, but I just didn't know any of the yeah. specifics. We all have things that we don't want to share or yeah. shield other people from, so it's not honestly. 
Yeah, I mean, I think the the main reason I wrote about what I wrote about the um, was because you know one of the things that I've said over and over again, you know, is I do not want to fetishize war. You know, so many war books are about, you know, Navy SEALs going in and kicking ass and taking names and people talking about how many bullets they shot or how many bullets they dodged. Um, And I wanted to avoid that. But I had to balance that with another really important concern of mine, which is the mental health of veterans. You know, Uh, Mm -hmm. veterans suffer at an incredible rate you know the suicide rate is astronomical and i wanted to bring some non you know a way of of bringing light to these situations without glorifying the violence but also giving people a sense of what it feels like you know there's an intentional sort of delay in the pace of the book, right? I want the reader who hasn't experienced it to in some small way to have that experience and to, for a moment at least, and hopefully a long moment, empathize with those who've been at war and the impact it, um, it has on them. You know, and that's why I've been so focused on trying to figure out how I take this book and turn it into a project which sheds light on veterans' issues, you know, issues for anyone who goes to war um, and and commit to that. And so, honestly, that's the only reason I included those, that level of detail, you know, and I I tried to pick just a few examples and it's the same thing with, you know, telling the story about how I grew up, you know, um, it was very difficult to write that. And, you know, one of the things that you've said, Cody, is it's difficult to read. Um, but that's the experience of lots of people, you know, and yep. again, it's an opportunity for me to create space, right. And to allow people who live in those or have lived in those environments, the opportunity to have their, their reality recognized. Um, but also to frame it in a story of triumph, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and to talk about the capacity and the ability, um, to overcome. I, I totally agree. The, the issue, I mean, I think you talk about it in the book too. It's like, even if you don't agree with what we're doing, right? You, yeah. You need people on both sides to, to do that. And so it goes to veteran or veterans or people who are currently serving in the military. Like we need to get them the support they need. Yeah. Right. We're going to continue to do that. And a 18 year old. Who's yeah. Barely graduated from high school. That right. Gets, four months of training is not prepared for the, yeah. for the yeah. stuff that goes on. And yeah. And that's another passion that I really have, you know, and it, it grew inside of me when I was in Iraq, you know, and I worked with so many really bright young Marines. I was actually just texting with um, a young Lance Corporal that I met when I was, um, when I was in Fallujah mm-hmm. and you know, 
some of the kids I met, you know, they didn't care about anything. They just wanted to get home and, and that's all that mattered. But I met so many young, motivated um, junior Marines who were doing the best they could to implement U.S. policy as they understood it, right? Yeah. Which to me is a, a colossal um, task for them to accomplish, like you said. I mean, none of them, you know, had graduated from college, you know, and so for them to be at the pointy end of the spear of U.S. policy, military policy, enforcing um, policy um, is an incredible responsibility. And I just developed so much respect for them. And I wanted to be able to, I guess, you know, in a lot of ways, pay respect to them by telling at least, you know, two or three of their stories, you know, and, and it just adds another light to, I think, one, ways that we can all give back to our country. And like you said, we don't have to agree with all of the decisions that are made, the policies that are made, but we can find ways to contribute that add to the good, you know. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, now that we're talking about it, there's just, you know, there's a lot of sort of causes or people that I care about, um, and try to pay homage to them um, through the course of the book and how they helped transform my life over time, you know? Yeah, yeah. Really appreciated that. So um, you talk a little about, about and it's something that we've talked about a lot, is um, labels. You felt yeah. like people were always labeling you. Yeah, I mean, it was – I'm trying to – I want to – one of the things that I always want to be able to do is force people to engage me for who I am. One of the things that scares me the most, angers me the most, saddens me the most is when I feel like someone is engaging me for the stereotypes that I should fit into. Mm-hmm. You know, so when I meet people, I remember being at a bar um, with the local rugby team here, and we were out at the bar with the opposing team just sort of after the match, just having a good time. We're talking, you know, it's two, three hours after we'd all been hanging out, you know, and I started talking about Jeremy with one of the guys that I'd been, you know, hanging out with all night. He's like, wait, you're gay? He's like, why didn't you tell me that? I was like, why would I, why would I tell you that? Yeah. Would it change anything about how we've interacted over the past few hours? Does it change the way you think about me? You know, or when I'm hanging out with my... What was his reaction? It was, well, no, I guess not. <laughs> um, and, and so when I'm able to engage people on that level, right, and to ask those very direct questions, then I feel comfortable. You know, and, 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 you know, it's true as true when I'm talking to people when I, you know, was actively being a fireman, you know, I'd know people for weeks or months and, you know, and they'd be like, wait, you have a PhD? Yeah, mm -hmm. I do. In like yep. medieval Islamic history. And I know like four or five languages. They're like, why didn't you tell me? Like it it didn't matter. come up. It yep. didn't come up. When it comes up, you know, I'm, I'm not, um, I'm not hiding things about myself. I'm not ashamed of who I am, but, you know, it, it stems from, you know, being a kid and feeling 
so uh, marginalized, even even at home. You know, the place where you're supposed to feel the yeah, safest. I felt like an outsider. I felt like I there was no way for me to fit in, and so I get angry when when I even if I think it doesn't have to be true, um, but when I think that someone is engaging me as a straight black male. Like mm-hmm. it, it bothers me at the core of my being because I assume that they are then thinking you listen to this kind of music, you like this kind of food, you go to these yep. kind of stores, you don't do this, you like that. And, and seven or eight times out of 10, they're going to be absolutely wrong and wrong in a way that will prevent them from ever knowing me as I know myself. Yeah. And, and additionally, they will know me in a way that doesn't allow me to be my best self to live my hero life. Yeah. They're going to put me in a box that says, you know, the moment they see me doing something that, that does not fit within that, then they have to make a decision of whether their preconceived notions are wrong or I'm wrong. And I've lived too many um, situations where I become wrong as a person. You know, yeah. and so in the because, book, because they put you in a box, because because they put me in their kind yeah. of a box, yeah. I have to be labeled as wrong. Yeah. You know, and one of the ways I talk about this in the book is, you know, when I was a kid, I just heard, you know I heard you are not blank enough, whatever it was, blank mm-hmm. enough. But as a kid, what I heard is you are not enough. So, you know, it doesn't matter whether someone says you're not black enough, you're not man enough, you're not whatever. What I heard is you are not enough. And there is no way to come back from that. Yeah. And so, yeah, as I got older, I had to create my own reality, create it in my head, and then force it into the world around me and force other people to engage me on that level. And, you know, it's been with varying levels of success, you know, people uh, frequently put me into various boxes, but mm-hmm. I reject them as much as I can. You know, a lot of times people think that um, it's a shtick for me, you know, they think that I'm on a soapbox or, you know, like, you know, you have a PhD and you just read some theory of human interaction or social behavior or something like that. And, I usually don't have the time to explain this and not just the time, but the desire that it is, you know, earlier we were talking about that ability to shield ourselves from the harsh realities of, of the world. Um, me being so much of an asshole about this isn't about being a shtick or getting on a pedestal. It's about self-preservation because I know that when I was younger, one of the main reasons that I suffered through depression was because I was trying to live up to other people's expectations of who I should be and who I could be. And so I keep, you know, I feel like I'm saying this a lot, which makes sense. But, you know, in the book, I talk about um, this conscious hip hop rapper um, named KRS one. Yeah. And he has a song called Brown skin woman. And his energy in this song is like, he's yelling at you, right? Like he's just got all this anger 
right? And and there's a line in the song where he says, you know, it's like, I, I'm not coming with disrespect. You know, I'm not trying to intimidate you. I, I'm trying to protect myself. And for some of us in this world, the only way to protect ourselves is to be relentless, to be like a dog with a bone. And every time, every moment, there's even a hint that someone's putting you in a box, you lash out. It doesn't have to be physical. It doesn't have to be violent. But even if it's in, in asserting oneself, you know, even for me to assert who I am in those moments without hesitation and without apology, it's really about self-preservation and, and, and that doesn't come across a lot when you're just, you know, at the bar having a conversation or <laughs> saying hi to someone like on the jerk. street. <laughs> it's like, whoa, man, sorry. <laughs> Why did you turn it up to 11? Yeah, you're like, hey, man, you started at 11. Why did that happen? You know, and they don't have that history, that baggage yeah. Yeah. Of, of being marginalized, you know, and it's tough to balance all of that, you know, and for me in my life, having, you know, more than two, but having on the one side, this, um, this part of who I am that is fighting to be, um, fighting to live my best life. That's the one side of it. And the other side of it is having this PhD in my head, right? This PhD, this person who understands the role of language and culture and customs and traditions in mm -hmm. forming all of our conceptions of who we are, right? So there's a sort of visceral emotional part of me that just wants to preserve myself, has just wanted to protect myself from this world that felt yep. suffocating, right? But then there's the other side of me that's like, no, man, come on. It's like you understand, you know, how language builds political structures and social structures and, you know, conceptualizations of the self are created over time. You know, it's like I understand all that stuff, but it doesn't eliminate that that dog with a bone feeling. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? So what else we got to talk about? Uh, you know, one of the themes in our conversation, uh, Cody, has been the things that are missing from the book, like the things that I had to cut out, you know, and we've been talking about, you know, the impact of my experiences on my life. But one of the, you know, the cool things that we've been able to share throughout our friendship that doesn't really make it into the book very much is, is, is rugby, right? Yeah. And so... I started playing rugby in 2005. Mm -hmm. I remember I um, had just come, no, sorry, I was just about to go to Oman. Yes. So I would have been in Chicago for a couple of years. Yep. And I was, you know, in, in the book, I write about how uncomfortable I felt in graduate school. And, and after like a couple of years, it started to build up and I just had like all this energy. And I just remember being in the military and being able to like work out all the time. Everybody's working out. And I was like, I need to find some sort of activity. I didn't want to work out on my own. Um, I tried to find like a football, you know, adult football team, but they were all like flag football. And I was like, no, I want to hit people. Okay. <laughs> so um, I started playing rugby 
you know, and the funny thing is that you got into it as well, right? Yeah. I mean, I came out to Chicago one time and hung out, well, randomly hung out with you and the uh, rugby team. Yeah, the first place we went when I flew into town, I think. Yeah. Um, and I didn't really, I knew about rugby. But, you know, I also like to hit people. I never actually got to put the chance to play rugby, but I loved the, the contact and the, and the camaraderie amongst both the people who are playing, but the people who are playing each other, right? And yeah. the crowd, and it's really like, it's just a great experience all around. And it's something that we've been able to share and, uh, uh, sport that we've been able to to talk about, and yeah. it's different. It doesn't fit the convention of something that uh, an American should like, right? Um, I mean, I think American the... football or baseball, and yeah, of, and... I think the the coolest part of it is how much we've gotten to travel. So yeah, you know, you've come to Chicago to watch me, but we've also, you know, we were in San Diego at the USA sevens rugby tournament. And that was right before I went to Iraq, I think. Um, And then we were in Japan just last year, right? At the, uh, at the world cup. Cup. Yep. Uh, And that was, that was a fantastic trip, huh? Oh my gosh. Um, And then we were in uh, Dubai for the, we were in Dubai when you were in uh, Bahrain. Bahrain. Yep. And so Uh, you came to visit in Bahrain, which was really awesome. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's like one of the best things about rugby and you you mentioned this is the camaraderie of the sport. So I started playing in Chicago, um, but I played all over the Middle East. Right. So I was I started playing in Chicago. Um, I went to Oman after that. And there was a, a rugby club there and met friends that I'm still friends with until today, yep. you know, um, went back to Chicago and played there. I've played in Egypt. I've played in Jordan. I played a little bit when I was in Iraq, you know, and played here in Bahrain. Came, I played in Bahrain. And, you know, when you came out to visit in Bahrain, we hung out at the uh, rugby club there and, you know, Colin and, um, you know, Whitlow and, and a bunch of other guys who I've just become best friends with, you know, and, and, you know, one of the things that I always say about rugby and the thing that I loved about playing is you cannot hide, right? There's so many areas of our lives where you, you sometimes you just don't know about someone or you don't know really how to take them. You put someone on a rugby pitch for like five minutes and you know pretty much everything you need to know about them. Either they are going to protect you or they are not going to protect you, <laughs> right? They're going to take the hit or they're not going to take the hit, you know, and you know very quickly. And it creates this bond between, you know, the players. But like you said, it's not just the players on the same team. There's also a bond of rugby players in general. And I remember um, when I was on Fort Leavenworth, when I was just about to go to Iraq and we were um, out with friends and, I was like, oh, let's go watch some rugby at the bar. And they're like, rugby, I don't know what that is. I said, no, we're just talking about it, talking about the sport. And they're like, why do you like it? And I was like, watch this. I was like, if we go to this bar to watch rugby and there are other people watching rugby there, we'll be best friends immediately. Total strangers and we'll be best friends. And that's exactly what happened. You know, you're buying each other beers, you're hanging out, you're talking, you're sharing your life. And, you know, I think that's a, a theme of my life and the book, you know, my desire to create relationships, um, to build community, and mm-hmm. wherever I'm at, be able to live that life that I believe I can, 
you know? And so rugby has, um, has really helped me. You know, I would say it's one of, and it's a shame that I, I wasn't able to devote as much attention as I wanted to in the book. Uh, there were just other events that really took precedence. Uh, mm -hmm. But rugby is without a doubt one of the reasons that I was able to continue um, pursuing all my dreams. Yep. You know, the physicalness of it, the camaraderie, the friendships, you know, like I said, I don't know if it's 60, 70% of my closest friends are all rugby players. Yep. You know, so it's just been a, it's been a great experience. So I'm glad, you know, we've gotten to share that, you know, oh, you know, over time and we've traveled all over the place. You know, remember we went to uh, Chester to watch the collegiate championships. Yes. <laughs> yes. That was a good time. That was a good time. Good. Nice, nice city. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think we're going to wrap enjoy. up, Cody. Yep. Yeah. I think we're going to wrap up here, Cody. I don't know if you have any uh, final else. thoughts. Yeah, I just want. Thanks a lot for reading the book. It's you know I can't wait to see your more formal notes. It's been yeah. Um, so I flew through it last night, so I want to go back and read it so I can provide comments. That. Yeah, you know I just I really appreciate you reading it and giving me your feedback. It's you know just in this conversation, you know one of the things that well I will continue to think about and I, I did not have a good answer for. Or it wasn't really a question, but it was just you know did I think very much about the impact of the life I was living on other people? You know, mm -hmm. it's not necessarily a question you asked me, but it's something that's, that's sticking. With me. Yeah, yeah. And I, I just want to keep thinking about, maybe that'll be the subject of our next conversation. Perfect. Uh -huh, without, could. without the, uh, buzziness in the background. Yeah. We'll see if we can get rid of that. Cool. Thanks a lot, code. I love you, brother. Thanks. Love you too. All right. Bye. Bye.